Today we're beginning a new collection of talks, and we're really excited to dive deeper into this topic. But before we get to what it is, um, I don't know about you, but a few weeks back when shelter-in-place was starting to happen and the COVID-19 pandemic was starting to hit our world, people were clamoring for essential items for their households. And one particular item that people were hoarding up on freaking out about was toilet paper. And I don't know about you, but... We were seeing on social media people buying hundreds and hundreds of rolls of toilet paper. And I'm thinking, what are you eating? What are you cooking? You need that much toilet paper. And we're here and we only have two rolls left. We're freaking out. And we're really thinking, what are we going to do? We can't find. They're sold out everywhere. Everywhere that we go, every grocery store, every Target, they're out. And finally, we are able to get our hands on some. But there has been this general panic about essential household items. And that's kind of the question that we're asking these days is what's truly essential? What are essential services and businesses that should remain open and ongoing? What are essential supplies and items that we need for our households, things that we cannot do without? And it's interesting because in the church, we're asking the very same question. What is truly essential here? I mean, do we really need all these lights, these fog machines, fancy sound systems, high-end production, merch, all of these things that are really nice to have and that we love and we celebrate, but is it truly the things that make church, church? And it's kind of refreshing because in this season, we're forced forced to focus on what really matters in the church. In other words, what are the things that we cannot do without? And so today, um, it's crazy because we planned this months in advance before the year even started. And we had no idea that this pandemic would hit us. But we have set this sermon series for, the, for many times that it's going to pop in and out throughout the year called Essentials. In other words, what is truly essential to our lives of faith? What are the things that we cannot do without And throughout the year, different topics are going to pop up under this umbrella, Essentials. Uh, We're going to talk about various topics, but today we're starting with, I think, one of the most essential elements of our lives of faith. We're going to talk about prayer. And so today, we're going to talk about why prayer is truly essential. Today we're beginning, beginning, beginning. Today we're beginning a new collection of talks. And before we get into what it is, um, I don't know about you, but a few weeks back, when this pandemic was starting and shelter in place was starting, there was this big mass freakout of people clamoring for essential items. Um, household items, things that they felt like they would need as they shelter in place. And one particular item that was really hard to find, it was sold out everywhere, was toilet paper. And we would see on social media and all over the internet people that are hoarding hundreds and hundreds of rolls of toilet paper. And I'm thinking, what are you eating or what are you cooking that you need all that toilet paper for? And we're here in our house and we're not hoarding anything. We're just trying to live, trying to get by. We only have two 
rolls left and we're starting to freak out because we're looking for toilet paper, but it's all sold out. Why? Because people felt like it was essential to have in their household. And right now it's interesting because we're so focused on what's essential. What are the things that we can't do without? What are essential services and businesses that should remain open and ongoing? What are essential items and supplies that we need for our households? And it's interesting because in the church we're asking the very same question. What is really essential here? I mean, do we really need all these lights, fog machines, high-end production equipment, merch, all of these things that are super nice to have that we love and we celebrate, but are they really the things that make church, church? In other words, are these things that we really can't do without? And it's been kind of refreshing as a pastor because this season has forced us to focus on what really matters. What are the things that we as a church cannot do without? And so today we're beginning a new collection of talks and we had no idea that this pandemic would would hit. We planned all of these topics last year at the end of um, December. Um, But today we're starting a new collection of talks called Essentials. And Essentials, this sermon series is going to pop up many times throughout the year. And we're going to cover various topics of faith that we believe are essential to our spiritual lives. But the first one that we're going to focus on today is we're going to talk about the topic of prayer. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk and dive deeper into this topic of prayer that I think so many of us are trying to figure out, have so many questions about. We're going to talk about different types of prayer, different ways. Ways to pray. What is prayer? Why is prayer important? Because I believe that prayer is an absolutely essential part of our lives of faith. And so we're going to get into that today. Today, I'm going to dip our toes in the topic. And in the coming weeks, we're really going to dive deeper into it. And I'm excited because I believe God wants us to understand and to practice and to live lives of prayer. And so we're going to get into the word today, but before we do, let me open us up in a word of prayer. Now, Holy Spirit, would you come right now and would you awaken us? Would you open our minds and open our hearts to long for prayer, to make prayer an essential part of our lives to see how important it is to our spiritual well-being, to see how it is something that we cannot do without, to see that it is the source where we can abide in the vine, to rest in you. And so today, would you open our hearts to learn more about what your heart is for prayer and why it's so important for us as believers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, we say, amen. Now, if you have ever felt guilty about not praying enough, I want you to raise your virtual hands, throw it in the chat. I I mean, if someone ever asked you, like, how is your prayer life these days? What would you say? You know, to be honest, I don't think I've ever felt good answering that question when someone asked me, how's your prayer life these days? Because even if I prayed that week, I wonder, did I pray enough or did I pray right? 
And so the question that we have to ask is what determines success? How do we know if we're praying as much as we should, the way that we should? Is the state of our prayer lives determined by how often we pray or how long we pray? Is it measured by how many people we pray for or how much faith we pray with or how many prayers get answered? I remember when I started pastoring one of my mentors, his name was Pastor Daniels, and I speak about him all the time because he's one of my role models. And he, this man is a man, I mean, if you, if you want to find a role model of faith for someone who's living a life of prayer, this is the man. I mean, this is the type of dude that, first of all, you know, Christians say, oh, let's go pray in our prayer closet. And it's kind of a slang for just praying in your room or finding a quiet place to pray alone. But this man literally prays in his closet. And this is the type of dude that he'll step into his prayer closet, his literal closet in the morning to pray. He'll start praying and then he'll say amen. He'll walk out and it's nighttime. He's like, oh, where did the time go? I mean, this is the type of guy that he just get caught up in prayer and he loves prayer. And so when I was starting to pastor, I, I would find myself at times praying in the way that I knew how to pray. And at the time, I could only pray for a few minutes at a time. And I remember after praying, I'd feel kind of good about myself. But then I would remember Pastor Daniels and the stories that he would tell. And automatically, I'd feel like I'm missing my mark. And I think a lot of times we hear stories of prayer warriors and people who pray so often, so consistently for so long with elegant words, and we hear testimonies of God answering prayers, and then we look at our own prayer lives, and we say, man, like, what am I doing wrong? What am I missing here? Why, why don't I like prayer as, I, as much as I should? See, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18, Paul lays out, these series of verses that are very challenging and there's many elements to this passage, but I'll go ahead and read it and we'll focus on one part of it. He says this, rejoice always, hella hard, right? Pray continually, Mm -hmm. give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but these verses stress me out because prayer is one of those things in our lives of faith that most of us know we should do. Run along, Fig. We should do, but find so hard to do. And I think it's hard because there's so many questions that we have revolving around the topic of prayer. And I find, I don't know about you, but prayer can simultaneously be so simple and so pure and at the same time, so complex and so multi-layered. Now, I want you to get interactive with me because it's hard to preach in front of a camera. So I'm going to need some talk back and some feedback. So amen in the chat if you've ever had any of these thoughts. And you could amen multiple times, okay? Am I praying right? Is this a waste of time? Should something be happening how come I'm not hearing God's voice? Should I be feeling something? Am I praying for the right things? If God already knows my thoughts, why do I need to pray? How long should I be praying? How often should I be praying? Do I call him Father God, Heavenly Father, or Daddy God? Should I be interceding for others, or can I pray for my own personal needs? Am I supposed to be praying for revival? What is revival? Do I pray out loud, or do I pray silently in my head? Why does my pastor always make me pray out loud? Does prayer even work? 
And can I be honest with you? These, this list of questions are all questions that I've had and some which I still have to this day. And church, can I just free you of a burden? In my many years of walking with God and pastoring, I'm convinced that there will always be an element of mystery surrounding prayer. In other words, I think we'll always have questions about prayer until the day we are face to face with Jesus. I think we'll always have questions. There will be an element of mystery revolving around the topic of prayer. One of my favorite pastors, he always says there's no such thing as experts in the kingdom of God. Because as soon as you think you haven't figured out, you realize you haven't even scratched the surface. And this is why Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children. And I think one of the biggest challenges in our spiritual lives is to grow up yet still remain childlike. But with all of that said, I'm so convinced that prayer is the single most important element of our spiritual lives. It's a central force that drives everything everything that we do in our lives of faith. And I'm convinced that we should spend our entire lives uncovering the mystery of prayer layer by ever so thin layer. And as frustrating as prayer can be, as difficult as prayer can be, I know also that there is a joy that cannot be found anywhere else. I know there's a peace that cannot be found outside of prayer, this breakthrough that can't be found anywhere but with prayer. See, I think we all have our questions about prayer and I have really bad news for you. I can't answer all of these questions for you. In fact, I won't because it robs you of your pursuit of the divine. But today I want us to at least scratch the surface of what I believe prayer is. And I want to learn from people that have a lot more experience and a lot more knowledge about prayer than I do. And so some of my favorite theologians, some of my favorite authors, we're going to draw insight from them about what prayer is. Now today, the topic of my sermon is actually taken from a quote by one such person that we're going to draw insight from today. His name was Henry Nguyen. And today we're going to draw insight from him because he has this amazing quote that challenged me and changed my paradigm of what I believe prayer to be. He says this, prayer is wasting time with God. Just let that soak in. Prayer is wasting time with God? Let me explain. See, the world says if you're not making good use of your time, you're useless. But Jesus says, come and spend useless time with me. If you think about it, Jesus wasn't too concerned with productivity during his lifetime. How do I know this? Because his ministry started at 30, ended at 33. So what about all the other 30 years? How come he didn't heal every single person that that he could have during his lifetime? How come if he could multiply bread and fish to feed 5,000, why didn't he solve world hunger? Why didn't he have people transpose and podcast every message that he preached? 
Instead, we got just eyewitness accounts from disciples who were by no means very educated or anything like that, but people that would recount these stories about Jesus. Instead, he would take time to hide away from his quote-unquote work, from his productivity, from his usefulness to do what? To pray. Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Luke 6, 12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Let me tell you something. If I'm preaching on Sunday, I'm trying to get sleep the night before, but Jesus saw that there was value in praying even when he could have got precious sleep. Mark one thirty five. in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Luke 5.16, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. I think we almost always think about prayer in terms of its usefulness to us. What will it do for me? What spiritual benefits will I gain? What insights will I pick up? What divine presence will I feel? But if we detach ourselves from the idea of the usefulness of prayer and the results of prayer, we become free to waste a precious hour with God. Now, I am married to the most wonderful, beautiful wife that I could ever have asked for Krista and you know think about in our marriage imagine if one day Krista is just chilling on the couch and she looks to me and says hey you want to hang out on the couch with me and I looked at her and first of all I'm not excited about it but I asked what's the goal here like what are we trying to accomplish what results are we trying to get honestly that marriage would disintegrate so so quick But I love our relationship because we love, quote unquote, wasting time with each other. In other words, spending time with each other for the sake of spending time, not to get a certain result, not to achieve a certain goal. And it doesn't mean that that time is useless. Like when we say that we should forego the usefulness of prayer so that we can just spend time with God, it doesn't mean prayer is useless. And gradually we may find that this useless time will actually transform us and everything around us but that is not the heart of prayer tim keller he says this paul does not see prayer as merely a way to get things from god but as a way to get more of god himself and i think we have such a hard time with this here in america here in our western culture because we're so productivity driven In fact, we're so productivity-driven that even in a global pandemic, we're busier than ever. Come on, show a virtual show of hands in the chat if you are busier than ever. And it shows us this, that our busy lives are actually not an issue about time, but about priorities. We love to keep busy. And that the heart of prayer is a force that comes against the productivity-driven culture of our age. You see, productivity is the distinguishing characteristic of the empire. 
Produce, produce, produce. If we look back in Israel's history, Egypt represented the empire. In a lot of ways, America is like our Egypt. We have become slaves to productivity. Produce, 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 and you're only as good as what you produce. But prayer causes us to slow down, to rest instead of produce, to commune instead of compete. Prayer, in other words, is being unbusy with God instead of being busy with many other things. See, church, we have to stop gauging the success of our prayer lives in terms of our productivity In other words, what are the results? What are the goals? What are the things that I'm getting from this? See, we find that the goal of prayer isn't to get something done. The goal of prayer is communion. Henry Nguyen, he says this, prayer is an outward, careful attentiveness to the one who invites us to unceasing conversation. You ever step away from your phone or from Slack just for a few hours, maybe even a few minutes, and you come back and you realize you have a hundred missed text messages in that thread, and you realize that just because you left doesn't mean the conversation ended. When Chris and I were dating, we would spend hours on the phone, and sometimes we would fall asleep while on the phone, um, especially when we were engaged. And I remember one such time um, we were talking, and it was getting pretty late, And I remember I was just sharing how my day was, sharing a story. I went on for like many, many minutes. And um, I'm just assuming Krista's listening. But at the end of my story, I asked Krista, oh, so what do you think? And I don't hear anything on the other side. And I hear a faint, audible snore on the other side of the phone. And I realize I've been talking and talking and talking, but... And the conversation never ended, even though she fell asleep and zoned out. And I find that that's kind of like us and God. God has initiated this unceasing conversation with us. In fact, he's taken it a step further. He's initiated an all-time, for all eternity, shelter in place with us. In other words, he is always by our side. And he has invited us into this unceasing conversation, this unceasing communion. And sometimes we zone out. Sometimes we leave that chat, but we realize that he is still speaking. See, what prayer does, it it creates in us the awareness that God is still there and he is still speaking. John Ortberg, he says, the goal of prayer is to live all my life in the joyful awareness that God is present. See, I'm convinced that those with the richest prayer lives aren't necessarily those who log the most hours on their knees or have the most elegant words or those who spend the most time in their quote-unquote prayer closets. I believe that those with the richest prayer lives are simply those who have learned to become more aware of God's never-ending presence in their everyday lives. And so prayer is not about productivity. It's about communion. It's about wasting time with God, being with the one that we love. So where do we begin? And there are many ways that we can find that 
there are so many ways that we can pray, some of which that we're going to cover in the coming weeks. But today I want to start at this place. I believe it's a good place to begin. And we read a quote from Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians. He says this, Many people have found prayer impossible because they thought they should only pray for wonderful but remote needs they actually had little or no interest in or even knowledge of. Can I get an amen? Prayer simply dies from efforts to pray about quote-unquote good things that honestly do not matter to us. The way to get meaningful prayer for those good things is to start by praying for what we're truly interested in. The circle of our interests will inevitably grow in the largeness of God's love. I remember a season before I dated Krista where there was this girl that I was crushing on. Only problem was she lived halfway across the United States, actually full way across the United States. And I remember one day I mustered up the courage to ask her out on a FaceTime date over the phone. Yo, I was leagues beyond shelter in place. I'm hearing about dating apps and people having virtual dates. I did it before all this stuff happened. And so I asked her out on a virtual date. I got rejected, felt terrible. I remember going to God in prayer that night and I was saying, God, I feel so hurt. What's wrong with me? Is it how I look? Is it how I talk? God, why does no one want me? And I'm praying all these things, having a pity party coming before God with my honest feelings and my thoughts. And as I'm praying, I remember the specific moment I look up on my wall and there's photos from my mission trip to Indonesia and pictures of the orphans that we were working with and loving on. And I remember looking at that photo and I'm like, shoot. Is what I'm praying for too petty? Like, shouldn't I be praying for the orphans in the world and all the starving children and for revival to sweep across America? I mean, have you ever been there? Have you been praying and you wonder if what you're praying is too petty or too small? Or you're, you're wondering if what you're praying, God couldn't possibly be interested in that. See, when you hit up your best friend, you don't think, okay, when I, when I talk to my best bud, we should only talk about important best friend stuff because that's what's important. No, you simply start sharing. You share what's on your heart, what's on your mind, what's in that moment. You share about what you're into right now, what you watched. You might have watched Tiger King, and so that's on your mind. You share how you're feeling. You share how your day's been. And I think sometimes we set an agenda in our conversations with God about things that we have no interest or no passion in whatsoever. In other words, you don't need to pray for revival every time before you come, every time you come before God. You don't need to pray for revival, especially if revival is not what you care about right now. You don't need to pray for your coworker's salvation, especially if that's not what's on your heart right now. It doesn't mean we won't ever pray those things, but start by praying for what you're truly interested in. Forego the elegant Lord, Master, Ruler, Father, Daddy, Gods, and just be yourself. Talk to your friend that's closer than a brother, that's closer than your breath. 
I remember I had to set aside a specific season where I challenged myself, Mickey, you're not allowed to use any religious lingo, any religious words that you would use outside of normal conversations with your friends. And I remember how challenging it was coming before God in prayer and not saying, and in your mighty name we pray, and just speaking as if we were having a conversation as good friends. I think we have been trained in the church to treat prayer more like a religious exercise than a beautiful, intentional time of communion with God. And so start by praying for what you're truly interested in. You'll find, as Dallas Willard said, that the circle of your interests will inevitably grow in the largeness of God's love. I remember in college when I was leading a discipleship group, there's this one guy that I would meet up with every week. And as his discipleship leader, I was thinking, okay, I got to ask all the spiritual questions. And so I'd always begin our hangout by asking, all right, so how's your spiritual life these days? What did you hear from God this week? What's he doing in your life? And asking all these very intentional spiritual questions, not realizing that he was an infant in his faith and those things weren't really on his mind. And so I remember our conversations would be so, so slow They would not go deep at all. They would always feel like it's hitting a wall. We would feel like we weren't connecting. But I remember one week I decided to switch things up. And so instead of going to the cafe where we'd normally meet, I took him to a restaurant called Burgers and Brew. And just to put him at ease, um, I ordered two beers. And so we're drinking beers. I'm being a rebel discipleship leader, drinking beer with my disciple Lee. And so we're drinking beers. And instead of opening up with how's your spiritual life, I just ask, hey, so what shows have you been watching this week? And we just start having basically a normal conversation like any normal human being would. And what astounded me was where that conversation took us because it started with just what we're interested in, what we're talking about, what's on our mind and our heart, how our days were, how our weeks were. But we found ourselves at the end of our conversation, diving deep into theological questions that he had about God, about the things that he was wrestling with in his faith. And I found that we had hit our goal of deep communion and intimacy with one another, deep spiritual conversations, when we had simply started with what we were caring about, what we were passionate about, what was actually on our minds in that moment. Start by praying for what you're truly interested in. Just be honest before God. Come to him with your thoughts. Dallas Willard, he says, prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. I think we need to expand our understanding that prayer is not just on our knees, bowed head, closed eyes, Father God, amen. And listen, nothing beats uninterrupted intentional time with God. That time is so important. But I think we need to understand how prayer fits in with our workouts, how prayer fits into our work how prayer fits into our relationship, how prayer fits into our hobbies. Because when Paul says, pray without ceasing, unceasing prayer, I can't imagine a life where I 
Every moment of my day, I'm on my knees in that intentional time with God. We have to live. We have to eat. We have to live our lives. And so there must be something else to this thing that we call prayer that is outside of that intentional Father God on your knees, intentional time with God. There has to be something said that prayer can actually bleed into our everyday lives. Could it be possible that prayer can be me knitting Not saying a single word, but simply aware that God is there enjoying it with me. Could it possibly be that prayer can be me going on a jog, not lifting up 10,000 hallelujahs, but simply aware that God's presence is there running with me, running after me. Henry Nguyen says a prayer life is not a life in which we say many prayers, but a life in which nothing, absolutely nothing is done, said, or understood independently of him who is the origin and purpose of our existence. And so church, this week, I want us to practice prayer in this way. I want us to set aside time first and foremost, time and space in the busyness of our lives to waste time with God. No agenda, no goal, no results-oriented time, but simply communion. And if you don't know where to start, just share what's on your mind. How's your day going? What are the things you're worried about? What are the things that you're enjoying right now? And just talk to him as a friend. doesn't have to be 30 minutes. can be a minute. can be five minutes. I don't know. But let's just come before God and waste time with him. Say, God, no other agenda here. I just want to waste time with you. To spend time with him the way we would with the best friend. To forego formalities, the supposed holy prayer topics, unless it's something you're truly burning for at the moment, and just come to him with what's on our hearts and our minds. But second, I want you to try to intentionally make yourself aware of his presence in everything that you do. Maybe it's a simple acknowledgement that he is there with you on your jog. Maybe it's simply saying a mental, I'm glad you're with me as I work. Whatever it might be, just try to intentionally make yourself aware of his presence in your everyday activity. And so this week, in our efforts to help us do this, On Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, um, we're going to be on Zoom at noon just for 15 minutes to create an intentional time and space to pray, to interrupt our day, to waste time with God. And I believe that that little intentionality is going to go a long way. And so I invite you to join us on those Zoom chats to be able to see everyone's face and to be able to know that there's a community that's willing to waste time together with God because communion is more important than anything we can get, anything we can achieve, anything that we can get results for. And I believe that we'll, we'll find ourselves starting at this very basic place, but growing deeper. That our interests, our heart for the things that we want to pray for will increasingly grow in the largeness of God's love. I want to end with this quote by Henry Nguyen. By the way, I highly recommend you check out resources and books from these two theologians, Dallas Willard and Henry Nguyen. They have such great insight into the presence of God and to the practice of prayer. But I want to end with this quote. He says this, Prayer is the most concrete way to make our home in God. This season, as we're sheltered in place, I believe more than being sheltered in the confines of our home, 
God is longing for us to be sheltered in place with the Most High. To say, God, you're my home. You're my house. You're the place where my heart belongs. And you're the place that I never want to leave. I want to be sheltered in place in this very person, in the person of who you are, God. I want to make you my home. I want to waste time with you. I want to grow in deep fellowship and communion with you. No other goal, no other agenda. Those goals might come. Those, those results might come. Everything might change around me and within me, but, but that's not why I'm coming to you in prayer. I'm coming to you in prayer because you're my best friend, and I want to spend time with you. I want to waste time with you. I want to grow intimately with you. And so this week, church, let's practice that. Let's practice that in the intentional space and time we create, but let's also practice that in learning to see God's awareness in our everyday lives and our activities. Why don't we pray together? God, we pray that in this season, you would teach us about prayer and not just the religious, formal, traditional things that we've learned about prayer, but teach us the type of prayer that you engaged in Jesus. The type of prayer where nights would go by, not because you had to work for it, but because you simply delighted in God's presence. The type of prayer where you would walk away from crowds and walk away from your productivity and busyness in your ministry to spend time with your father because you just cherished it that much. I pray that we would be people that fall in love with prayer. And Lord, let us begin at this very first step to simply come honestly and pray what's on our hearts and our minds. And even if we feel like we're not getting anything out of it, even if we feel like we're missing the mark, even if we wonder, am I doing this right? Should I be praying this way or that way? Even if we have questions, God, I pray that we would just know that communing with you is already in it of itself a great reward. And so, God, I pray that as we continue to practice prayer, that the joy and the peace and the treasures that come with prayer, not the things that we're first and foremost after, but that they would be gifts bestowed upon your children for entering into your presence. So teach us, God. We want to learn. We love you. We honor you. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray, we say, amen.